Welcome, everyone. This is our very first Ask Me Anything episode. I will be handling most of these, but I will have coaches hop on from time to time when I feel that the questions are in alignment with their level of expertise um, in the particular areas that you guys are all looking for. So the questions today um, are actually mostly congruent, um, but due to uh, some of the personal nature of some of the questions, I am going to just keep it um, full anonymity. I'm just going to ask the questions and then um, give an answer. I think that it is uh, it was important for me to kind of batch the questions because a lot of them do have some similarities. Uh, so if you hear your question being asked um, in a slightly different way, it's because I have combined it with others that were very similar. Um, so let's dive right in. I'm excited to kick this off. All right. Question number one, what is the best way to tackle tendonitis uh, without sacrificing um, some of the more extreme movements that CrossFit requires. All right, so first thing, um, tendonitis, tendinosis, tendinopathy, they all have to do with some um, form of inflammation or degeneration of the connective tissue being, in this case, the tendon of whatever particular joint or area that we're talking about. So whether it's elbows, knees, um, it, it's on a cellular level, it's all very much the same. Um, now, some of those things that are a bit more chronic do require you to go to, to a physical therapist, and I'm always going to outsource people when I feel like it's outside my scope of practice. However, um, in accordance with many of the physical therapists that I work with, most of these issues can, um, and are handled, can be and are handled inside of the gym. The reality is this. Um, you have to listen to your body and you have to build load tolerance within that specific joint or movement pattern over long periods of time. Uh, to simplify what load tolerance means, it basically means you have to be able to stand before you can walk, and you have to be able to walk before you can walk briskly, and you have to be able to walk briskly before you can jog, you have to jog before you run, and you have to be able to run before you sprint. The longer you can prove to yourself that you can perform a set of specific exercises pain-free without causing further inflammation or discomfort, the better. And then what you do from there is you just incrementally increase uh, the load tolerance or the complexity or difficulty or load or reps of the given movement. So let's say, for instance, you're dealing with tendinopathy in and around the knees. The answer is, okay, can you walk forward and backward without pain? If the answer is no, well, then you need to slowly progress your ability to walk forward and backward, backward without pain. Okay, cool. That you know We're able to accomplish that. Now let's start with some single leg work and have you do um, some very low step ups or step downs. Uh, let's say we start you at six inches. You know, Are you able to do these under control at tempo without pain or discomfort? All right, sounds good. We do that for a couple of weeks. Maybe we increase the height of the box, right? And we keep playing this game over a longer period of time. And what's important to note, and I'll kind of tie in the extreme, um, you know, movements of CrossFit, even though that's not how I necessarily like to think about it, I would say that there's complex movements in CrossFit, and then there are just simplifications or scalings to each and every single one of those. But what's important to recognize here is that it's, it's really important to not become married to exercises and understand that the purpose in CrossFit is to optimize movement patterns. 
So for instance, a squat is improving the squat, your squat mechanics, whether it's a back squat, an overhead squat, a front squat, an air squat, a goblet squat, you name it. And it's important that you have the capacity to be able to squat well than it is that you can do a specific type of squatting. And ultimately, you know, the goal is to progress, but what that looks like for everyone is going to look different. If I have a 65 year old woman who, um, you know, is just getting to a point where we're able to get her into a full depth squat, the last thing on my mind is like, well, this is a progression towards her being able to do a full snatch. It's like, that's, that's not where we're at. That's not what she should be worrying about. Um, and there's things like opportunity costs that you have to take into consideration with some of these more complex movements. Um, in that it's going to cost you time to develop the motor control in order to be able to perform the movement for a certain set of benefits. And the reality is that not everyone should be trying to attain certain movements based on that opportunity cost and their starting point, especially when there are things they could be doing that would come with far less risk, require far less, um, time developing the motor control and abilities and give them equal, if not greater benefit and output. So don't get too caught up in specific exercises, focus more on movement patterns. And then if you, you know, really fall in love with wanting to learn certain movements, just make sure that you talk with a coach so that you understand the progressions necessary in order to be able to get there. I think that virtually anybody can do just about anything in the gym if they, over a long enough period of time and with enough dedication and focus to detail and um, the, the nuances to, to the progressions to get there. Um, and then as always, I, I'm going to repeat this point a number of times. It, it's important to appreciate your personal journey without comparing it to what others are doing. This is one of the beauties of CrossFit, whether you're talking about RX and scaled, or in our case, we use a level method system. It's just huge to understand that ultimately this is your journey. And there are going to be days where you're going to do things that other people can't. And there's going to be days where people are going to do things that you can't. And this is just the reality of being part of a class where you have varying ability levels and you're testing a large variety of different movements and uh, modes of exercise. So to wrap that up, talk to a coach and trust the progressions that they give you. Don't worry too much about you know, extreme movements or complex movements versus simple movements and just focus on what you can do pain-free for the time being and then appreciate your own journey. Next question, what are some easy, healthy dinner meals for families with young kids? Uh, now that my daughter is eating solids, the easiest things to make are not always the best for us. So the big giant elephant slash caveat in the room here is that I do not yet have kids. So anything I say has to be taken with a grain of salt because this is not a problem that I deal with currently. But with that being said, a lot of my clientele that I work with, as far as that our nutrition goes, uh, do have kids and have some uh, met some of these struggles. So let's dive in. First thing, um, simplify your meal structure. Goal is to make things that require less prep storage and clean up. Basically, you're trying to remove the barrier of the difficulty of prepping food. So whether this means that you have food that's already set aside um, and is able to be remade and it's something that you're gonna enjoy and you've proven to yourself that uh, you know you don't mind this food reheated, um, that can be one part of the solution. The other part can be determining uh, what's gonna be the easiest for cleanup. You know, I, I love just as much as anybody else to make a meal from scratch. But I do not love having to clean up six mixing bowls and seven plates and a bunch of different utensils and spoons. 
because now it's like, uh, you know, I can look forward to the prep and the meal, but then I've got, you know, 45 minutes of kitchen cleanup to follow. So generally speaking, you know, if you were to graph this, I say that the, the more time that you have to spend on meal prep, the more meals that it should cover. So if I'm going to spend two hours in the kitchen, knocking a bunch of stuff out, I want to make sure that those meals last for at least three days and cover at least two of the meals uh, for myself and my wife. So I really try to gauge how many meals I'm making and compare it to how much time it's going to take to make them and then try to come up with simplified versions of you know recipes. And I'm putting that in air quotes because I'm not a huge fan of thinking of everything like a recipe. For instance, uh, a solid meal that I'll make is a turkey burger that I will eat on a bagel with an egg. And it's like, I don't consider that to be a recipe. It's super simple to make. I can make a bunch of turkey burgers on the grill. They don't take long. I can always chop a bagel in half, throw it in the toaster, put an egg on there and a little sriracha and I'm a happy man, right? So not everything needs to be this huge concerted effort. So I think thinking of things less like recipes and more of just sticking to the important food groups, you know, lean meats, fish, colorful veggies and fruit and quality grains can really simplify this process for you. And along the way, you know, you can be experimentive with your kids early um, and it may surprise you what they take a liking to. I was this way, you know, it could have been luck of the draw, but my parents introduced um, so many different foods to me at a young age where I was just not a picky eater. So by the time I was three and four years old, I was eating virtually every vegetable you can imagine, maybe minus something like mushrooms, just because of the texture. Kids I know are very texture-based. And, uh, but I was, I was, I'd taken a liking to a bunch of different types of fish and seafood. Um, I was eating steak. Um, so my parents didn't really have much of a difficult time whipping together um, different meals. So I would say be experimentative early and you might be surprised with the types of things that your kids like. And then plan ahead. This one's always gonna be at the forefront of my discussion around nutrition. Um, the more that you can set a plan in place going into the week, the less time you will spend thinking about how you're going to prep food. So for instance, I prep my food on Sundays and I prep it on Thursdays. And when I go into those days, I know that I, I have the things that I'm going to make and, and it helps because I eat a lot of the same things and I know how many meals that it's going to take up. So I'm less concerned throughout the week of, oh shoot, it's Wednesday. What am I going to have for lunch? Because I know that I've already planned that. So having meals set you know, aside and ready to go for the majority of your meals is the way to go. And that way, when you have those meals where you want to sit down and make dinner from scratch, it's something that's a bit more cathartic and less of a forced effort. You know, I think when you're stuck, it's a nice thing to think that you're going to be able to make dinner from scratch every single night. But I'm telling you, like having those meals ready and then planning maybe one or two times throughout the week where you're going to make everything from scratch and eat it. And that's, you're not going to have any leftovers. That could be appropriate sometimes, but um, you'll save yourself a lot of time and heartache just planning ahead. So I know I didn't necessarily get into any specific meals, but I hope that given everything that I gave you, uh, you can kind of pull some ideas from there and uh, I'll connect with you personally and send you some recipes. All right, next question. How do you balance eating in a calorie deficit um, to lose weight while at the same time eating enough to maintain your metabolism? All right, so I'm just gonna kind of cover as many bases with nutrition as possible. So first thing is we always push a few pillars that we feel are necessary for everybody, regardless of age, activity level, lifestyle, starting point, 
experience with nutrition planning, all of that. There are pillars that are at the forefront of the very first things we need to tackle before we have concerns about any of the minutiae. And those pillars are sleep, stress, protein intake, and hydration, all right? Until those things are taken care of, and I mean, you could throw physical activity in there, but because just for the sake of talking about nutrition, I'll leave that out. Those four things are going to be your base, right, of the pyramid for every other decision that you're going to make as part of your nutrition. And you'd be very surprised with how effective your nutrition will be just by getting those four things taken care of. Stress, sleep, protein, and hydration. Next, it's important to understand how our bodies are primed to store fat rather than get rid of it. In other words, it's easier to put on weight than it is to lose it. And this is not rocket science. Everyone understands this because we've all gone through um, ups and downs when it comes to our body weight. But I'm going to explain to you more on a mechanistic standpoint and biological standpoint why this takes place. So it really does help, um, and I know sometimes these things seem cliche, but it does help to think of some of the dilemmas and questions around nutrition in terms of their evolutionary purpose. And the main reason for people adding on fat mass or adipose tissue is that it is a protective mechanism from us starving. And if you think about the majority of you know human existence, ranging back to like the first Homo sapien all the way up through now, Arguably 99.9% of that existence, scarcity was a real thing. So the, you know, up until recent, you know, where you're a first world, second world, and, and in some world, third world countries, this is not a problem anymore. Especially in America, do not have an issue of access to food. So with that being said, mechanistically, the body had to prime itself to protect against either becoming obese in which case metabolize fat at a faster rate or to protect us from famine. And famine was definitely the far more scary and th uh, common threat to, um, to everyone throughout the existence of humans. So what that means is that when you eat in excess, your body's storing fat as a protective mechanism because it's saying this is high yielded energy that I can store and save for a later time in the case that I am going to be starving. And we are primed in our brains to be attracted to very hyper palatable and high caloric, uh, calorically dense foods because it wasn't always a guarantee that we were going to be able to find food. So during the time of hunters hunting and gathering, there were times where you know millions of people would die because of climate shifts or because of a lack of water or because of droughts. And people had to get really good at not just saving up a bunch of food and having it available, but also in eating very little when um, you know, a family had to ration out what little food they had for longer periods of time when they were dealing with one of those issues that I had mentioned. And what would happen is in the case that they came across something like, let's say, honey, tribes would eat almost all of it in one sitting because they didn't know when they were going to be able to find that again. And that honey, again, representing that calorically dense type of food. So because we're primed to do that, this is why it's difficult to turn away from foods that are very, very calorically dense. And this is almost all processed foods that you can think of, chips, ice cream, cake, bread, um, especially like, you know, wonder bread, white bread, those sort of things, things that 
trigger us to want to eat more and more of them. We are designed to crave these types of foods as a protective mechanism, which is all the more reason that it's important to rid them from our environments. Uh, be, be that not being on our shelves or easily accessible at home. So I know that that kind of gets into the weeds a little bit, but the reason I bring that up is, uh, and kind of want to couch this conversation in that is that you, because your body is primed to want to store fat, it is difficult to make adjustments to your body in terms of losing fat mass while maintaining muscle mass because muscle mass costs your body a lot and your body's always going to be want to be protective over your fat stores because it needs to be protective in case of starvation. So the answer is because your body wants to maintain homeostasis or kind of being at that even even state as much as possible, you have to make changes very slowly over time. And you're constantly at a point of a proving ground where you're showing your body, I'm eating enough to maintain my activity levels. I'm eating enough to maintain my, all my organ health and tissue health and my cognition and, and, um, you know, just basic energy, uh, expenditure and daily function but I'm eating at a slight deficit so that my body can lose some fat. Now, it is impossible to lose weight and not lose some muscle, but by prioritizing things like sleep and hydration and protein intake, we can minimize the amount of muscle that we lose. So the answer then becomes, well, what is the number? What's, what's my break even? And this can be a little difficult to figure out because it does change on a daily basis based on things like physical activity and sleep and um, the types of food that you're eating and you know uh, the type of job and lifestyle that you have and how active you are. But we can get a general idea of what this is. All right? And there's a number of ways that you can try to gather a baseline. One of the easiest is there's if you just type in like... Um, caloric intake calculator online. There are a million of them that use uh, a few popular uh, and well-recognized accredited um, formulas to determine what your um, resting metabolic or basal metabolic rate is, um, which is going to tell you, you, know, you minus exercise, uh, how many calories a day your body burns given you know your lean muscle mass, your age, height, weight, and, and those sort of factors. Now, this isn't going to be steady. It's not going to be static. As I mentioned, it does change. But what you can do is you can aim for trying to eat just under that marker. Now, I will tell you that it is easier if you eat very similar things all the time because there's less room for error. So if my breakfast, lunch, and dinner are the same and I weigh them out using the same tools and measurement and, and measuring tools, um, it's there's less room for error because I'm sticking with the same things. When you're constantly changing up the things that you eat, the room for error increases. And it doesn't mean that you can't have any variety. It just means you have to be that much more careful with the way that you are determining how much of these things that you're eating. Um, because ultimately, if you're only trying to reduce the total, so let's say that your, your uh, resting metabolic plus your caloric expenditure from exercise comes out to 2,500 calories, realistically, I may only want to reduce that by five or 10% at most 
um, in order to eat in a caloric deficit while also maintaining enough calories to uh, facilitate the, the exercise and the intensity within that exercise that I have um, been partaking in um, and trying to keep as much muscle on as possible while I'm losing that fat. And then what's going to happen is, is over time, right? Let's say you do this over the course of a month and you lose, uh, let's say half a pound to a pound a week, which is a, a pretty good range if you're looking to lose weight, but not lose muscle mass, then that basal metabolic rate is going to change because you weigh less now and how much you weigh has implications on what that number is. So what's going to happen? You're going to have to adjust. And the answer is you want to adjust again by that small increment of five or 10% or so. And then you keep playing this game. And over time, uh, you know, you are going to have moments of plateaus and you're going to have moments where you maybe go in too much of a deficit and you notice uh, it in terms of your energy expenditure. Um, and you're going to want to track. You're going to need objectives. Um, uh, you know, so one being your weight. You can track every day. You can track once a week. Um, but it's important that you're consistent with something like that because that's ultimately between that, you know, weighing yourself and then weighing your food and tracking your food. Those two things are going to be kind of the pulse check you have on if this is working or not working. Um, and the more that you get in line with understanding that this is a long term solution um, and a long game that you're playing, the less you will have emotional reactions to oh, I gained a pound or I lost five pounds. I wasn't planning on losing that much this quick. Your body goes through very natural fluctuations anyway, but if you were to track them over a long enough period of time, they will trend down if you are consistently focusing on those four pillars we talked about, stress, sleep, um, uh, protein intake, and hydration. And if you are eating in a very slight caloric deficit over a longer period of time, all right? So I know that was a lot to get through, but I really wanted to kind of couch that in an under, to help um, promote an understanding of why it's hard to stay away from calorically dense foods and why it's hard to um, get our bodies to rid of ex excess uh, adipose tissue. Um, but if you're meeting those four pillars, you're working out on a regular basis and you are, um, tracking your food intake and then very slightly adjusting that, uh, on a monthly basis, you will see progress period. Next, what are the CrossFit basics that one should know before getting into CrossFit? Well, this question normally comes off a little bit different, so I'm going to address it in two different ways. People will say, I want to do CrossFit, but I want to get in shape first. What should I do? So the thing I always tell people is the most important part of getting ready for any exercise routine is just the habit of proving to yourself that you're willing to show up on a regular basis uh, to do some form of physical activity. So I would rather you walk two days a week than three days a week and four days a week and five days a week and then come into a CrossFit gym than to think that you need to go through, you know, Barry's boot camp or some sort of stepping stone to a CrossFit program. The a good CrossFit program it can be something that adheres to and is appropriate for every single walk of life. Um, you know, I say CrossFit is 
um, for anyone, but it's not for everyone. And I mean that from just a habitual and behavioral standpoint, right? If you're not willing to show up on a regular basis, CrossFit will do nothing for you. And if you are willing to show up on a regular basis and be consistent, CrossFit will do more things for you than you can even possibly imagine. Um, so the first thing is just creating the behavior and the habit of doing something positive for your physical health on a regular basis. Beyond that, I would just say, you know, try to do a squat, try to bend over and hinge at the hip and try to press and put something above your head and see how it feels. Because those are going to be your primary movement patterns that you're going to be focusing on inside of a CrossFit gym. And understand that even if you are experiencing or exhibiting some uh, pain or discomfort in any of those ranges of motion, um, new range of motion is, is generally painful range of motion. So mo range of motion that's unused becomes tight and stiff and uncomfortable. Um, but through the proper progressions over a long enough period of time, those you, you can earn those ranges back and uh, develop better uh, tissue health in those areas. And a CrossFit gym, a good CrossFit gym can be uh, the vehicle to getting you to that point. So these are all things that are going to be part of your introduction process, getting into a CrossFit gym. Um, but again, there's not a whole lot of foundational understanding uh, necessary before getting into CrossFit or there's no need to get into some sort of shape before you begin a CrossFit program. You just need to prove to yourself that you're willing to show up for your physical health multiple days a week. All right. Uh, next. What makes CrossFit gyms different from other class-oriented gyms? All right, so the first thing is just that CrossFit gyms are prescriptive in nature. We're going to take someone in and we're going to prescribe exercise to you as an individual based on your limitations, your ability level, and your goals. Um, and I feel like there are a lot of gyms where the goal is just to sweat. Um, and I don't need to call any of them out specifically, uh, but a good example would be if you're sitting on a bike the entire time, um, you know, sure, you may lose weight. Um, sure, you may develop some muscular endurance and stamina in your legs. And sure, you might develop some, you know, mental tenacity and uh, resiliency by pushing yourself through the paces. And I have nothing against using bikes. We use them all the time. But um, you are not going to improve your physical health from a universal standpoint. And you're going to miss out on a lot of energy systems and movement patterns by focusing purely on just the aspect of I'm trying to get my heart rate up and sweat. So CrossFit's very prescriptive in nature. Um, and when we onboard somebody, we take them through uh, a full movement assessment and then uh, get a, a true snapshot and baseline of what their current movement competency looks like so that we know what types of exercise exercises to use as part of their starting point. And we compare all these things to their goals. And while most goals are very similar in the beginning, maintain lean muscle mass, you know, I want to be able to see muscle in my body. I want to lose some of this excess uh, adipose tissue. I want to be able to go up and down steps without pain or without breathing heavy at the top. People's goals become a lot more refined once they've been part of a program for a while, in which case we sit down for a review session and break down some more uh, specific routes and trajectories that we can take to work towards those specific goals. So in the beginning, everyone's aiming kind of at a fuzzy target, um, or at least at similar targets. And then they branch out once they have developed some experience. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, but I'll just reiterate the point. Another huge difference is 
focusing on movement patterns versus muscle groups. So if you go to like a bodybuilding esque gym, it's going to be very like, uh, today we're focusing on chest and tries and tomorrow we're focusing on back and buys. And while there is going to be some isolation work and accessory work focused on these things at a CrossFit gym, it's very much so focused around movement patterns. So it's like, what's the quality of your squat look like? What's the quality of your press look like? Um, and what's the quality of your hinging look like, look like. And then we look, you know, at different planes of motion, um, through some of these different movement patterns. And this kind of gives us a, a really good idea as far as like where your strengths and weaknesses lie and helps us come up with game plans uh, for improvement and better stability in joints and tissue health. So um, again, that kind of leans back into the prescriptive nature of CrossFit. Um, when on the CrossFit journey, um, when should I stop from uh, physical pain and when should I know it's just a mental struggle? Well, this does take a little bit of time. Um, this is, this is a tough question because there's definitely a difference between pain and discomfort, right? Pain is like signals coming from, uh, the body that you are about to injure yourself if you don't stop from exercise. And usually they last longer than the split second that you experience them. So this is, everyone's had this happen at some point you're inside of the gym or you're performing some physical activity and you get a shooting pain coming from, let's say your lower back and you're like, oh, that's not good. And you kind of like stand up, you stop what you're doing, you walk around and you kind of do some twists and movement to see if it's still there. And you're like, oh, it's still there. Um, this is a pain where you should absolutely stop whatever it is that you're doing at that given moment. Um, I think what's difficult in the very beginning, however, is that when we, when you're, when you come from a place of not exercising all too frequently to a place of exercising on a regular basis, in the very beginning, you're going to have all the red flags and alarms popping off every other second because it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable to get your heart rate up and to um, put some demand onto your muscles and to breathe super heavy and increase that respiratory rate. So you're going to have all these bells and alarms going off anyway. So I get that in the beginning, it can become a little bit difficult for people to discern between pain and discomfort. Um, but as mentioned, discomfort will, uh, generally alleviate very quickly. So if you're in the middle of a workout, let's say I have you on a bike and we're, we're, you know, driving the legs, pumping the arms, heart rates up. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm starting to feel sick and you get off the bike in a very quick amount of time, your body is going to recover and you're not going to have that sensation anymore. You're not going to go home and be like, I'm still feeling like crap from the bike. And I know that I'm saying this and there are some people that are like, listen, bro, I, I feel like crap from the bike for hours. And look, like touche. But the point is that pain is something that those signals will stay with you because it's a preventative, it's, it's, a, it's a preventative measure from your body to prevent you from getting hurt. And oftentimes this comes in the form of inflammation or spasms or uh, those sort of things as indicators um, that, you need to not push that hard. And that, that kind of, to refer back to the progressions that are necessary that I mentioned um, earlier on, the same is true here. And this is why in the very beginning, um, we with using level method, we really try to, we try to build people up slowly over time. And there's going to be workouts that are gonna kick your butt no matter what in the beginning, but we don't want that to be every single day because when you're first getting started, one, it's, it's a deterrent mentally. Um, it can be a little bit, um, 
it, it can it can be really tough on an individual that uh, doesn't get their heart rate up frequently to have to deal with that every single day, and they almost create an anxiety of over going to the gym. Um, and we don't want them leaving and being just completely debilitated with uh, with muscle soreness every single day that they wake up because that's not fun in the very beginning. Um, so we really try to build people up slowly and, and help them grow an appreciation for the physical exertion and the exercises that they're performing. And uh, generally within about a month's time, people start to notice that it's no longer stealing energy from them, but it's giving, giving them energy and uh, that they're starting to take a liking to not just the feeling they get when they're done exercise, but the feeling of, of actually showing up on a regular basis, right? Developing that reputation with themselves and the confidence that they get from it. And then also do the challenge that is provided to them inside of the workouts. Um, so I don't think that stuff takes very long as long as you're administering exercise the correct way. Um, the other part is enjoying uh, when the workout is over versus enjoying the middle of the workout. So I kind of just mentioned this, but this is a kind of a way of discernment that I, this is the way I talk about discernment for, for a lot of people when they ask me about comfortability with exercise. And that is in the very beginning, uh, you hate it. It's not enjoyable at all. There's, it's not enjoyable thinking about going to the gym. It's not enjoyable, you know, getting to the gym and starting your warm up. It's not enjoyable in the middle of the workout. It's not enjoyable after the workout. It's, it's kind of like, um, almost like your body is going through, um, uh, oh, what is it? It's like your body is going through imposter syndrome, basically. Like you uh, feel like this is something that I don't belong doing. Uh, I don't. I don't belong a part of this. And uh, the answer in the very beginning is, well, it's because you haven't been a part of this for a very long period of time, and your body's fighting you. It's it's saying this is all new. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to be doing this. But what starts to happen is that um, eventually you get to a point where while you hate the workout, you love the feeling of after the workout. And this is why, especially people that come into the morning classes, they're like, it sets the tone for my day. I feel like a happier person. I'm more calm. I'm less stressed out. And um, people just stress that it, it's such a, a huge instrumental part of their day and their mood. Um, but eventually what begins to happen is you get to a point where it's not just the endorphins and the feelings associated with post-exercise, but it is that challenge of the fight during the exercise. It's when you're in your fourth round and you got two rounds left and you already are like, I don't know if I can do this. And then you convince yourself you can and you do. People start to fall in love with that battle. And I feel like that really is where this turns from some sort of a... Um, a means to an end, right? Where people are just like, I'll suffer through exercise purely for the benefit that it gives me aesthetically and the mood enhancement to no, 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 no. Like I love the challenge of the workout. And I think that's really where it becomes a lifestyle for people. And this is why like, you'll see people like people will say to me all the time, like, I don't understand how you like exercise. Like I, I hate it. And I'm like, well, I've been doing it for a very long time. Right? I've been working out on average, I would say four days a week, at least since I've been like 14 years old. So by now, like, don't get me wrong. There are workouts that absolutely eat my soul and I'm not enjoying them in the moment, but more times than not, I have found a love for, you know, the feeling of being in the middle of a workout. And I would say that 
much of our membership base that have been with me for years fall in that same boat. All right. Um, quality, inexpensive uh, versus expensive CrossFit shoes. Um, this one's really simple. Are they comfortable? Are they supportive? Are they durable? Um, can they, uh, you know, stand up to all of the demands of the movements that you have to perform in CrossFit? You know, I have, you know, full transparency. Um, I think I've tried every single CrossFit shoe that's come out. I'm lucky in that I don't necessarily have feet that prevent me from going in one shoe versus another. Um, so when it comes to this, I just tell people like, Experiment in the very beginning, Trout, Reebok, and Nike, you know, the two primary ones. Uh, Nobles kind of jumped into that mix now and see what you like. Uh, I'm always going to fall on the side of buy for um, quality rather than for, um, you know, the cheapness of it, just because generally speaking, those quality shoes are going to last you longer. Um, and the ones that are built for CrossFit generally have, um, mechanisms or part of the shoe that are designed for things like rope climbs. Whereas if you go and buy uh, kind of a soft sold, um, you know, let's say like a Nike air, our ropes are going to shred your shoes to pieces. So there are certain things that are um, better for CrossFit. And then you also want a heel that is a little bit more sturdy. So whether the shoe happens to be more minimalist, whether the heel is more flat and you have better connection with the floor, or it just has a harder heel, like in a Nike Metcon, these things are going to be better uh, for, for movements like squatting. Like I always will, the only time I'll mention something about someone wearing certain shoes is either A, for the ropes, B, for running, if I feel like their, their shoes are not conducive for running, um, or C, when they're squatting and they're like standing on like what I would call like pillow clouds uh, on their for their soles. So like if you have if you have shoes that are like very, very like soft foam heavy where there's like a ton of padding, probably not the best thing to wear when you're trying to be connected to the floor and create stability in and around the ankle. Um, so yeah, outside of that, experiment, have fun and try them out. The nice thing with shoes nowadays is you can order them, try them on, and then if you don't like them, you send them back. It's not like the old days where you had to go to the store. Um, let's see here. What's the uh, most important part of a meal before and after a workout? Well, both are of equal importance, but they can be more or less important depending on your schedule, food tolerances, before exercise, um, and training duration and intensity. So uh, to that first part, um, your schedule. What you eat before your workout at 6 a.m. is less important than after because the reality is unless you're getting up at like 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning, you're probably not going to get a full meal in before your workout. Whereas if you're going to work out at 4.30 p.m. and you eat lunch, let's say, at 12.30, well, you need to make sure you eat something substantial with you know quality complex uh, carbohydrates and good sources of lean protein, because that energy still needs to be available when you show up for your workout later. General rule of thumb is like one and a half hours to three hours prior to exercise, you should eat something. Obviously, um, you know, the catch here, as I mentioned, is that those early morning classes, this can be a bit more difficult. And, um, you know, you're probably going to want to eat something either in the form of a liquid, like a shake or something small, like a bar, um, that's like dense, full calories, but isn't like very voluminous. Um, basically what you're doing is when you eat before a workout, you're fueling for exercise, which is why I mentioned the lean protein source and, uh, the quality carbohydrates. You want to avoid, um, meals that are really heavy in fat 
before you go into exercise, just because uh, they take longer to digest. So oftentimes you'll deal with di digestion issues. You'll be burping them up and stuff when you're in the middle of your workout, which is never fun. Um, and then post-workout, you're basically refueling those stores that you just emptied and you are assisting in uh, generating the muscle tissue that you just broke down. So um, going from that catabolic state to an anabolic state and making sure that you're actually reaping the rewards of uh, the exercises that you just went through. Um, and then obviously this uh, is dependent on um, food tolerances before exercise. So uh, you really got to be experimentative here once again and see how you tolerate different foods prior to exercise. Like I know for me, uh, eggs and eggs and like a bagel go really well an hour and a half, two hours before I exercise. But there are certain things that I wouldn't dare, like, like dairy, like I wouldn't have dairy an hour and a half before I exercise. It would absolutely mess with me. So everyone's different in this domain. You really just got to see how your body tolerates things and then take those mental notes uh, so that you know what foods to take in and not take in. Um, and then your training duration and intensity also play a role here. So generally, the longer your sessions, the more intense your sessions, the more you're going to want to eat bef um, before and after. And if they're long enough, eventually you get into the conversation around like intra-workout carbohydrates and protein. Um, the research around that gets a little bit nuanced and it is highly dependent on the type of exercises that you're performing. Um, and it's probably a duration that most people will never even touch, uh, as part of their daily routine. So that's not something they're going to have to worry about. All right. Uh, how would you explain CrossFit to an inexperienced individual? Um, I would say it's creating well-rounded fitness that has the greatest transferability to real life activity. So I mentioned the movement patterns versus muscle groups. Ultimately, this is the goal. You have lifespan, which is pretty binary. How long do you live? You're either alive or you're not. Um, but then you have health span, um, which is how long within your lifespan do you maintain quality, pain-free movement and physical competency? Um, and the whole, to me, the sole purpose of CrossFit is to increase that health span as much as humanly possible. Um, and we do this by all the things that I mentioned before, um, you know, by focusing on strength and stability and flexibility and cardiovascular health and then adaptability, the ability to do things on the fly that you haven't done before. You know, so this is the, the example I often give to people that are uh, sitting in front of me for a consult is, look, what this is going to give you that another program is not is when you go on vacation, I want you to be able to be like, you know what, I want to take surfing lessons today and you're not worried you're going to drown. Or I want to go on this long, challenging hike uh, that's, you know, 12 miles long that I got to start at 4 a.m. And you're not worried that you're not going to have the muscular endurance or the stamina to be able to perform. Um, I want you to have adaptability and the ability to perform the unknown when you're challenged by it, uh, because this makes you more resilient and it also makes life more fun. So I think that's the biggest takeaway that people get once they make CrossFit a part of their lifestyle. Um, and in the beginning, it usually doesn't fall here. It's usually more vanity metrics and people want to lose weight and see muscle mass and all the, look, all those things are great and you'll absolutely get that benefit as well. Um, but I think long-term, especially as people age, they start to genuinely appreciate their physical freedom more. Um, 
Ooh, big one to finish out. Wow, I'm 45 minutes into this thing. This has been fun. Um, all right. How do I get my parents who are retirement age to focus more on their fitness and health? This is the last one, guys, um, but this this one's heavy. Um, all right. So first, come from a place of love rather than a place of concern and frustration. Um, you know, telling your parents uh, how frustrating it makes you that they're unable to do things with their grandkids or, you know, telling them, uh, how much you can't stand watching them not be able to do certain things, or you're, you're so pissed that they don't take their health, like they take their health for granted. Um, I understand your frustrations around these things, but if you come from a place of love, you're far more likely to invoke change. And this is you know universal, but it definitely falls true when speaking with, uh, parents that you're trying to get to be more active. Um, Help them understand how their decisions will affect their kids and grandkids. You know, this is a button that I've used in the past when even speaking with my own parents. Like, I let them know, like, I want you to be able to be an active grandparent. That would mean not just the world to me, but it would mean the world to you. So let's start thinking about the things that you could be doing to uh, help facilitate that and make it a reality. Um, live by example. Um God, this one, you know, I know this question is going to come up eventually, or, or I know I'm going to tackle it, but we see this with, um, you know, parents want their kids to work out. It's like, you'll have parents come in and they're like, yeah, like I just can't get them to get off the couch or playing with the iPad. Um, and they, they don't really like physical activity. And I'm looking at the parent and I'm like, well, do you? And I understand that, you know, some parents live by the ode of, do as I say, not as I do. But when it comes to physical activity, ugh, like if you really, really want to see the best for your kids, you need to first focus on the best for yourself. And um, the same is true for your parents. Uh, if you want to see your parents being more physical, it's like, well, lead by example and then offer for them to come with you for certain things. You know, maybe it's like, Hey, let's, let's go for a walk today. Start something small. Let's walk the dog or let's go on this little hike or let's go to the park. And then, you know, you can advance from there and, and start to, you might find, you'd be surprised. You might find that your parents are willing to do things if you, if, you know, if you slowly and progressively build them into it, um, and you incorporate some things that they do enjoy. So maybe you, you know, you go out to eat and then go for a walk, or maybe you take the dog for a walk and they, they love doing that. So find a place of common ground and make it enjoyable for them and then slowly and progressively build it up from there. Um, the last point I want to make here, and I promise I'll wrap this up in a nice shiny bow at the end so that it's not so grim is that, um, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this question and I think people lack a lot of foresight when it comes to their physical health and their health span as they age. I don't think people genuinely understand the compounding effect that time and their habits have on their health. And if you're in your late twenties or early thirties, or even into your forties and you're looking at your parents and you're like, oh, they're just not, they're not in shape. Like they, like they're declining very quickly and they're not prioritizing the right things in more cases than I would like to admit or think are true. You are your parents just 30 years younger. And I say that because if you're 35 and you already can't run or you can't jump on a box or you can't do a pull-up, 
you're just your parents 30 years before, but younger. Time hasn't taken its effect on you as profoundly as it has on your parent that's in their 60s or 70s. And this is a tough pill to swallow because the realization then becomes, if I want to be a physically active 60-year-old, 70-year-old, 80-year-old, I have to be busting my butt when I'm in my 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Like You have to be the anomaly in your 50s if you want to be the complete anomaly when you're in your 80s, period. And as mentioned, I want to tie this up in something that's a, you know, a bit more happiness driven. And that is you have control over this and you can make, you can choose to make that change today. You can go from being the 35 year old that has all sorts of physical limitations to the person that can continue to improve in all those facets we talked about. It just starts with the decision of, I don't want to be them. I don't want to be like that when I'm 70. I want to be able to play with my grandkids. I want to be able to run around. And I don't want my existence to be made up of me just complaining about all of the pain that I experience on a regular basis. Now, I understand that there are things that are unavoidable. And I understand there are things that happen outside of our control. And I understand that as we age, things are bound to come about. But ultimately, your behavior and your habits over a long period of time become who you are when you are elderly. And if you start that focus now, you will not be that person. All right, guys, this was a lot, but I had a ton of fun doing it. Um, And the thing I love most about these AMAs is it forces me to think deeper about my beliefs and the things that I think about a lot on a frequent basis anyway. So thank you so much for the questions. I'm excited to put this one out and I'm excited to do the next one. Have a great day. 